and welcome. I'm Uri. And I'm Rifki, and you're listening to Talking Tachlis, the podcast where we talk about Jewish life and life in general. So as usual, let's start off with uh, some feedback from last week. As listeners, of course, know, last week we talked about the Supreme Court and its recent uh, rightward turn, I guess we can say, um, and especially it's the, the recent religious rulings or rulings that related to religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, Uri, any interesting feedback you want to share? Yeah, I actually did talk about um, these issues with a, a bunch of different people over the last week, uh, the last few days, and um, I got some really interesting perspectives. A, a bunch of people wrote to us and said some really interesting things, and I also personally was just thinking about it a lot. And um, mm-hmm. it's complicated. I was thinking about issues that you know we talked about and that you raised, like do these decisions make America a better or safer place for religious people, for not religious people? Um, mm-hmm. I'm still not exactly sure, but I'm, it's important to, to think about these things. Um, mm-hmm. The first um, feedback I want to read was from a friend of the show, Adam, who actually works uh, in a professional capacity um, in the sports world. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, you would definitely feel comfortable putting on tefillin on the football field. Football in general loves religion. I think track and field might be a little different, LOL. So I thought that was interesting, like that there's a difference in the different sports um, in terms of how they relate to religion. I guess you can imagine why those differences might be in terms of like regions of the country where those different sports are, are popular and stuff. But that does fit with my conception that football is a more religious, quote unquote, sport. I mean, does that sound about yeah right i mean you? it's an it's an interesting thought they have all this polling about people who are fans of major leagues in different sports right so of the nfl nhl nba uh mlb i guess presumably soccer as well i don't know anything about track and field so it's mm-hmm. funny the lol i'm like i don't get it <laughs> adam help us out um but i think it's it's the nfl i think of as the league that is the most right wing both religiously and politically, which mm. is, and when I say the NFL, I mean the NFL fans, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to something like the NBA, which, the, and this is the players also, the players in the NBA are known for being uh, very politically active and especially for more quote unquote left wing right. causes in, in way. And I think this is also related to like the players unions and the NBA players have a lot more leeway about ways they're allowed to express themselves. But I think the fans also appreciate it more in the NBA and the fans in the NFL, as we remember from Colin Kaepernick, many fans do not appreciate that sort of thing. Um, so I think these are all kind of related in a certain way. Um, but it's an, it's definitely an interesting point and it, it makes me, it does make me feel a little bit better of sort of feeling like, yeah, it's not about Christianity versus mm-hmm. Judaism versus Islam versus, you know, Hindu. Like that, you know, they, they just the fans are equal opportunity, you know, caring for religious people. If that's the case right. like that, In I think that's a really yeah. sweet thing. Yeah. I mean, he knows more about right. this for than sure. I think for sure. either of us. I also think it's important to make a not necessarily distinction, but like a demarcation. Be like you're talking about professional sports. There's a big, di- big difference yes. between professional football and college football and high school football. College and high school probably in one category, I would say, and then professional in a different category. And the college and high school probably a bigger deal um, based on TV shows that I've seen in like the southern part of the country and the more um, religious, right. but wouldn't regions you feel the like country. then e- because of that even more so yeah, there would be 100%, this like one hundred percent and he's re- and he's referring to the college football world right um, so it would be even more true yeah for sure and then the last thing that you were saying relates to our, the next feedback I wanted to read um, this person um, 
friend of the show, a longtime friend of the show, says, um, in recent decades, there has been a profound shift in the U.S. away from religion. In the 1950s, most Americans were churchgoers, now far fewer. It has been my experience as an Orthodox Jew that oftentimes practicing Christians will show more respect for my religious beliefs and practices than secular Jews. Many others mm-hmm. have the same observations. People of faith tend to respect each other, while those on the secular left all too often will show contempt for a religious lifestyle. Mm-hmm. What's, what's your perspective? You know, what do you think about that? I think that instinctively it makes a lot of sense. I mm-hmm. mean, totally informally based on friends or family in either the workplace or just in, in kind of different capacities in which they had to be professional, but sometimes their religious obligations may became uh, kind of into play. Like, for example, if you have a conference over Shabbat or if you're a doctor and you have, you know, shifts or, you know, I have a friend who is a doctor in a hospital and she is not observant, but comes from a very observant home. Mm-hmm. And she has had patients who are very observant and she's heard, you know, doctors and nurses making fun of those patients. Mm. And she's, you know, she does she doesn't live the same lifestyle. These are, you know, pretty classic people from Brooklyn, but she's very uncomfortable with this sort of like, you know, mocking or, you know, basing things on stereotypes, mm-hmm. things like that. Wow. Um so so instinctively it definitely does ring true, which is very unfortunate. Um I would hope that it wouldn't make a difference. I would hope that Everyone can respect each other regardless of your approach, what the commonality is or isn't. I don't think that it's on a burden on irreligious Jews to be more understanding or compassionate towards religious Jews or that the burden is higher for religious Christians. I think everyone should be equally well, of course, you know, loving and, and compassionate towards In an towards ideal world. Another. I think there is a counterintuitive element there, though, especially given our history of you know anti-Semitism and stuff that Jews should look out for each other. We've come to a point, at least in, in our culture, that in a way it's reversed. And it's the extreme of that, and we touched on this last week with the evangelical support of Israel, I think it's true, and I would say sad in a way, that a lot of um, Orthodox Jews feel more of an affinity or more of a connection to religious Christians than they do to secular Jews, which is right. a little bit weird. Right. Well, we've had this discussion before in talking about the modern Orthodox world as well, and we played the you know kind of thought experiment of, you know, there's an empty spot on two benches and one of them is a Hasidic Jew and one is like a random secular person. Who do you sit next to if you have to start up a conversation? And I think for many people in the modern Orthodox world, and I think myself included, probably the person I'd be more comfortable sitting next to, let's say on a 10 hour plane ride, would be the person, the the completely secular person. I feel like there would be a stronger commonality there. And I think many modern Orthodox people would say that. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, um, but I think it feels like a reality in many, you know, Oh, Uri, I think we've lost the, f- the thread here. Yeah, I thought also I, the thing you just raised, you just pulled an Uri because that's like a totally separate... Well, no, no, separate... we've discussed that. We've discussed no, because, this in past episodes. Well, because the two examples you gave were not the two examples I was talking about. I'm talking about the Hasidic Jew, ver- or I'm talking about this, the totally secular person versus the uh, religious Christian. And you said the, the Hasid versus the secular person, whoever, you know, whatever religion they are. I think that's right. very... Right, yeah, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm talking comparison. about... Uh, but I'm talking about Jews and Jews. Meaning I'm talking uh-huh. about right. like Even, yeah. the commonality that we as modern Orthodox people might feel a sense of kinship with Jews who are totally secular and the commonality we might feel with Jews who are very outwardly and inwardly 
uh, religious. I think that could go either way, to be honest, not to get into it now, but um, I could see, I'm not exactly sure how, how I would answer, maybe the, the Hasidic Jew, I'm not sure. And I could definitely mm-hmm. see that going either way for a lot of uh, modern Orthodox Jews, which might say something about their Judaism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a litmus um, test. Yeah, Uri, I wanted to add one other piece of feedback we got from a Talking Tachas listener that I thought was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, this listener works at public schools or has has spent their career in different public schools okay. uh, around a major city outside the New York area. And she told me that in basically in different schools, she has experienced a different amount of strong, heavily Christian environment, let's say. Um, in every public school she's ever taught in, there have been Christmas trees, there have been Christmas carols sung. Um, she didn't mention any even like perfunctory, like, oh, let's sing like a Hanukkah song, which as mm-hmm. we discussed last week, I don't even think that's particularly important. Mm-hmm. But she said she said that there are some schools she feels it more than other schools, or when I say she feels it, she feels more uncomfortable than other mm. schools. Um, she feels like there's a sense of like outsiderness that she experiences, which is pretty uncomfortable. Um, and I thought that was also kind of interesting. Like it's especially outside the New York area where there are so few, honestly, in, in most cities. Obviously, there, there are a, a few obvious, you know, major exceptions, like, you know, uh, cities where there's large different minority populations of Jews, of Muslims, of, you know, things like that. But let's say, you know, America's heartland, right, where there are very few people, really, who do not come from, from Christian backgrounds. And that means that to be in the school and to not come from that background and to not affiliate with that group, even if it's not intended, really does, for many people, feel very uncomfortable. Right. That's interesting. That's not to talk about what's constitutional exactly, or unconstitutional. Right. That doesn't mean illegal I'm or, not trying to, right. Yeah, I'm not trying to make a claim about what the Supreme Court should say right. or shouldn't say, but I think it's important in thinking about that at the end of the day, Sensitivity. This, is, this is all about people. You right. know, It's all about relationships and it's all about how we can relate to other people with love and empathy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. That that's a, that is a very interesting perspective. And I just want to add one more thing. Is I was thinking about it, and I definitely would sit next to the Chassid because it would be a great opportunity for me to work on my Yiddish, which listeners of the show know is a big passion of mine, and I've been working on <laughs> over the last number of months and years. So that's my answer okay. to that question. That's that's a great answer. That's a great answer. <laughs> Well, why don't we get to this week's topic? Last week, NASA released the first images captured by the James Webb Space Telescope. The telescope is the successor to the famous Hubble Space Telescope, and these new images are the most detailed glimpse into deep space that humans have ever seen. People around the world marveled at these pictures with awe and wonder, and this accomplishment of a U.S. government agency seemed to have been universally praised, a phenomenon which seems almost impossible in any other realm. The project, which began in the early 90s, had an original budget of $1 to $3 billion and an estimated launch date around 2007 to 2011. Instead, the budget eventually ballooned to $10 billion, and the telescope launched in 2021, finally becoming operational just a few weeks ago. As described on Wikipedia, the purpose of the telescope is to, quote, view objects too old, distant, or faint for the Hubble Space Telescope. This is expected to enable a broad range of investigations across the fields of astronomy and cosmology, such as observation of the first stars and the formation of the first galaxies, 
and detailed atmospheric characterization of potentially habitable exoplanets, end quote. So aside from those specific goals, supporters of NASA have always argued that the space program has led to discoveries and inventions that have helped humanity in multiple different areas of medicine and technology. But Rifki, what do we think about the James Webb Telescope and NASA in general? What are the true motivations for these projects and are they worth the money? With the recent advent of private space exploration from the likes of Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, do we even need NASA anymore? And finally, what might some of the Jewish ramifications be? Do you think that exploring the unknown is a Jewish trait? You can start with answering any of those questions in any order you choose. (laughs) Okay. Well, let me ask you a different question, actually, Rafi. When you saw those pictures that were all over, you know, social media and the news and stuff, what was your reaction to that and to this whole concept? So I'll tell you, I think... I think I had a few reactions. I think my first thought, like many people, presumably, was, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Like, that's it. Like, kind of like a simple, like, wow, that's really cool. Okay. And then I moved on with my day, right? And I did, like, I went to work. I mean, not literally. I'm sitting in my room. But I, you know, I went to work and I I had my lunch. And I, like, kind of like, it didn't stop me in my tracks. Even, it didn't stop me in my tracks. Let me say it even stronger. Like, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, Suddenly it was like, that's where my brain was. Every waking moment when I wasn't doing the other things I needed to do, that's what I was thinking about. It was mm-hmm. occupying all my brain space. This was not that, right? I thought it was cool. I thought it was beautiful. But I wasn't thinking at every moment like James Webb Space Telescope. Like that just like wasn't what I was thinking. And if anything, I was a little bit looking at the other people who were thinking that and I was a little puzzled. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that I was thinking those morons it was more like i was like i wonder why i'm having such a non-reaction and that was kind of my first thing that i was kind of experiencing what about you or how did you react upon seeing these photos and reading about the telescope um yeah that's very interesting the way you describe it to be honest this is something and this is like a realm of uh thought that is extremely interesting to me and that I do think about a lot just like outer space and and aliens like when I was a little kid I used to like I couldn't sleep at night because I was thinking about like the universe and is it infinite and if it's infinite like where does it ever stop and like that was scary to me and I couldn't sleep fine um (laughs) I I can sleep now but I still think about it a lot (laughs) um so this but this telescope I mean the pictures didn't blow me away and I think that's because we're all like so inundated with like you know if you've seen one um sci-fi movie if you've seen star wars or whatever like you've seen things that look like that they're not real but you've seen it and then this is just a real version of that so it's like okay we've you know if if somebody would have seen that picture 50 years ago i think they probably would have been floored and would have stayed home from work Mm. maybe thinking about it who knows (laughs) um the other thing that you said was also very interesting that you were like looking at other people's reactions like I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I'm a bit of a contrarian so like I was actually thinking about that also like how I said in the introduction how everybody was praising this and this is so amazing that in itself made me think like is it so amazing like you know 10, mm. 10 billion dollars like can't that be used for for something more a little bit more useful to everyday life you know you, you compare it to Roe v. Wade that's just like obviously a very different type of of a thing it's a much a super immediate and practical thing versus super hypothetical you know hypothetical and not practical at least for for now um, but I do think the the telescope is not just like a camera a super camera for taking cool pictures of space it's meant to like 
better understand the universe and matter and you know the origins of life and stuff like that like i there was a very interesting um new york times daily episode about the telescope and mm-hmm. they said something which was alluded to in that description from wikipedia which was a little di- disappointing which is that they even as great as this telescope is they can't it can't actually see planets up close the way they're going to study planets is by seeing the planet in front of a star and the outline of the planet they can kind of like measure the gases coming out of the planet and by that information infer what type of planet it is and if it's like similar to earth and stuff but they're not actually going to be able to like zoom in and see like mm-hmm. little little guys walking around <laughs> um, maybe on the next version of the yes. yeah, exactly. they're, they're already working on the next one i read mm-hmm. and um that one might be able to to see that stuff but this actually, yeah, this also actually um, made me reread, and I haven't, I'm like sort of halfway through, but it's, it's like over 50 pages, the Rabbi Dr. Norman Lamb um, mm-hmm. article from tradition from like the 60s, I think it was 1965, where he talked about like the um, Jewish philosophical ramifications of um, extraterrestrial life, which is just like a very, as like a Jewish religious person, it's very interesting to, to think about. Does that, is yeah. that something that you think about? I, you know, I think similarly, I think for some reason, it's just some the kind of thing where, and maybe this is just me being kind of like a hyper boring, like, like, I, I, like when those questions, I kind of, th- it's it almost to me like the questions of like, what happens when we die? And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Are there aliens? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, is there potential for life? Do you Could humans know? one day, like, I it doesn't keep me up at night. Like it, it's, it's the kind of thing. And Uri, I think we've like talked about this before. Like, I think often about like, um, like Enneagrams or personality types. Like I am very focused. And I think this, this comes across very much in, in the, the topics that we choose. And I think you're, you're maybe similar, uh, you know, to me about this, but I am very focused on like what it is to be good. I'm thinking all too often about morality and about bettering oneself and in a, in a, in a way that I think I'm hypercritical and judgmental and maybe I like try to push against that but it's very very difficult for me and I'm mostly talking about myself but you know talking about talking about all of it right and, and to me these other questions of like that are kind of like philosophical or esoteric and ultimately don't affect my day-to-day life feel to me different because they don't make us better or worse people. Or, I mean, maybe you could make a case that they do. I would love to hear it. But ultimately, things like that, mm-hmm. to me, just, just feel like outside the realm of things that I'm interested in. That's not to say that they are not interesting and important and relevant to other people, and rightfully so. Like, I'm not saying that I'm right and other people are wrong. It just doesn't, it's not in the wheelhouse of things that I'm passionate about, I guess. Yeah, that's very when interesting. I, when I say that, how do you, how do, how does that do, do you relate to that? Are you like you're insane? Like what 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 do you come up with from there? Yeah, I totally hear what you're saying. I guess it's it's not just space exploration, you know, it's sort of like scientific discovery in general that could be argued to fall into that category but then you know when when people justify nasa for example and say like well look at all the technology that's come from it so like uh, you know things like velcro which seems a little funny but it's actually pretty practical and medical things like artificial limbs and and hearts i I read were developed out of um nasa Mm -hmm. you know research and stuff so that's obviously very practical and real and makes people's lives a lot better uh, in a very Mm -hmm. real day-to-day um kind of way but when people say things like that it always feels to me like 
like a justification, like a like an excuse of like that's not really why they want NASA. They want NASA because it's cool and there's a human drive to explore and be curious about the world around us. And that's sort of like the rationalization of spending billions of dollars on it. But I was actually I was thinking about that that part about what I just said, like, you know, you seem to not really have this particularly strongly, but it is, you know, you have to, it's a human trait that goes back, you know, to the, you know, Columbus and the explorers and obviously way before that up until like the moon landing. And that's clearly a a line of uh, the same type of curiosity about the world and that drive to explore and to find out what's out there. And um, so I was wondering how that relates to Judaism. I actually reached out to a friend of mine who is a rabbi and a very knowledgeable person. And I asked him, like, can you think of any examples either in Tanakh or in Jewish tradition of like Jews um, either having a value or just Jewish people doing the action of like exploring and trying to discover new things? And um, hold on, don't say yeah. anything. I want to think for a second. I want to give our listeners a second also, <laughs> because as you were saying that, all of the examples I was thinking of of people traveling in Tanakh all felt to me like negatives, right? So I first mm. thought about the book of Genesis, where all of the forefathers, like there were famines, so they traveled. The, obviously, the, the sons of Yaakov, Jacob, all traveled to Egypt. That didn't turn out so well. Then in coming back to Israel, um, you know, several generations later, they complain the entire time. They wander for 40 years. Mm. Like, no one was, like, wandering <laughs> and excited. <laughs> but I'm trying mm-hmm. to think if there's something that I'm not thinking of. So just give me a second. Mm. All right, I got nothing. Okay, yeah, no, that's it's interesting to think about the traveling part, but also just all the examples that you gave, they weren't going to unknown places. Those are places that people had gone to and that they... We're already the people, settled. Yeah, the people who were traveling knew that people were already there and people had gone there mm-hmm. and come back and stuff. Um, but it's yeah. interesting, like maybe just Jews are just not good, good travelers. I'm definitely not. Um, <laughs> but um, so he, he I, to be fair, I didn't give him that much time to think about it because I, I, uh, I spoke to him today. So he said he wanted to think about it some more. But roughly speaking, what he came up with was like in the more like intellectual realms, clearly Jews are very interested in especially Torah, but not just Torah, like probing and exploring and thinking and delving into and dissecting and figuring out. Um, And in science, not necessarily Orthodox Jews, but in the history of science, there's definitely a lot of Jews who are very prominent, um, whether it's uh, Freud or Einstein or, you know, countless other Nobel Prize winners, etc., Um, But we couldn't think of any examples of like physical exploration of like going off into unknown places to see what's out there. If anybody has an example of that, I would love to, uh, you know, reach out to us, please. But I don't know. I don't know if that means anything that that there isn't really a tradition of that in Judaism. That doesn't necessarily mean we're against it. I personally definitely get it. You know, the moon landing, if I had been alive at the time, I think I would have been like definitely a stay home from work day, you know, like. Do you, you don't think you would have? It's interesting. No, I don't. I mean, look, I, I was this, today. I was specifically thinking about it today because I, I love, 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 love seeing incredible, beautiful sights. Like some of the mm-hmm. most incredible places that I've visited. Like um, I spent some time in Peru. I found it mind-boggling and incredibly meaningful and spiritual being in those being in a place like that. And, and you know, there there. Uh, 
several other examples of places that I've been that I really feel that sense of power and almost like a sense of like uh, majesty and like godliness, right? Mm. So there's like, um, there's like uh, obviously many verses, like um, there's a classic um, verse from Tehillim, Marabu Masecha Shem, right? This mm-hmm. idea of like, and which is very often said by um, spiritual and religious Jews when they see some a beautiful God made um, f- like marvel, right? Like it's yeah. like it's incredible the things that God has made. It's incredible to see God's creations, right? That's the line from I think Rav Shem Shem Rafael Hirsch about seeing the Alps, mm-hmm. right? Like um, that, like this idea that it, there is there is a beauty that God has created, and recognizing that beauty is not a bad thing, right? God has made these things. God did not make these things for God's self, right? These things that we we presume are put on in the world for us, right? So, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? So when I see things in the James Webb telescope, right, and now I'm kind of like saying the other side, like I should appreciate it a lot more than I think I do. God made this. (laughs) It is incredible. It is, it is mind boggling, right? Like I don't even think about it. The way you're talking about like science, like I'm not even thinking about it in terms of science. I'm just talking about beauty, right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm less interested or excited or impressed by human beauty like the pyramids or whatever like i mean they're fine there's something i guess kind of cool I, I don't know like <laughs> god beauty feels way more exciting and mm. powerful and interesting to me um so and i think it, it should like I, it's funny as i'm saying it it goes back to the value of like what i what's good and what's bad mm. i think it is good to marvel at god's beauty right or the beauty that god has created yeah, for sure. I mean, it's interesting when I see those pictures, to me, I'm less in awe of like the actual visual image. Uh-huh. And it's more about what it represents and the vastness of it. And the fact that we're seeing images from 13 billion years ago. Yeah, that, that to me is more like crazy than um, the actual um imagery but once you're quoting psalms i I guess i have to do that also (laughs) um in the in the norman lamb um essay he quotes psalms eight four to seven when i behold your heavens the work of your fingers the moon and the stars that you set in place what is man that you have been mindful of him mortal man that you have taken note of him that you have made him little less than divine and adorned him with glory and majesty you have made him master over your handiwork laying the world at his feet and the way Rabbi Lamb brings that in is that that's the paradox of this whole uh, thing, which is simultaneously in that um, psalm, it says, on the one hand, we're insignificant and we're nothing. And when we see pictures like this, we see that there's like, you know, billions and trillions of other stars and galaxies. And who are we? We're, we're like, you know, nothing compared to that. But at the same time, we're everything. We're little less than divine. We're, God adorned us with his glory and to me, that's also very cool, like that those can both be true. Like you said, seeing these things is like, you know, the glory of God. And obviously that's how religious people often talk about. But it's interesting because you often also see the exact opposite of that. Like not as much, I think, now, but I think maybe a few decades ago, um, the more secular scientific community would bring things like this to like, quote unquote, disprove religion you know like look we're we're not the center mm. of the universe we're insignificant specks and you know there's probably tons of other civilizations out there and we're like we're not special like and sort of like implicitly um disproving the whole idea of religion or chosenness and specialness and whatever so it's interesting that the same thing can be used in like really opposite ways 
Right. It reminds me of the, you know, I think it's Rav Simcha Bonim, I think, um, a Peshischa, who was this uh, Hasidic leader who had that um, kind of story or parable or phrase, this idea of having, you know, two pockets, right, with a note at each pocket. And one note right. uh, tells Same you idea, that yeah. the world was created for me. And that's the one you should go to when you're feeling low, when you're feeling nothing, when you're feeling empty. But when you're feeling high and mighty and powerful and special, you're supposed to take out the other note, which it says that you are just human, you are just dust and ashes or something like that, uh, which I think is, is a similar sort of idea, remembering kind of both sides of what it is to be human. And uh, I also wanted to add that one of the things that um, I think you said before that, that rang true to me is I looked at the NASA website to see how they describe their mission, right? Because you're right, like the the scientific kind of advances that have come through NASA were not the reason that NASA came into existence. And I was wondering how they would kind of uh, define their mission or what was special about them. And the first line really goes to exactly what you said. Humanity's interest in the heavens has been universal and enduring. Humans are driven to explore Mm -hmm. the unknown, discover new worlds, push the boundaries of our scientific and technical limits, and then push further. The intangible desire to explore and challenge the boundaries of what we know and where we have been has provided benefits to our society for centuries. So it starts with like the dream, right? The like, it's like almost like poetry. Like it's like, this is what we are built for. We are built to explore, Mm -hmm. to go, to to see new things. And also there have been like, you know, um, uh, benefits to our society that have like, but that's not really the acre, right? That's not the main point. (laughs) We saved a few lives, but that's not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that was nice, like solid. Congratulations, everyone. But really it's about, you know, pushing the bat. Like, and I just thought that was really interesting the way that they, that, they're, they're clearly yeah. trying to, to, to address both sides of it. Right. So you agree with me that the real reason is the exploration and the rationalization are the side benefits. Well, I mean, I, I agree with you that that's what NASA that's is a, claiming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I guess just because we like to talk I mean, about, I don't know why, yeah. why would it not be? What, what do you mean by that? Um, well, because the, it's, I think that's, it's just interesting because we're talking about spending taxpayer money and it, it is in some ways a zero-sum game any money you spend on one thing can't be spent on other things and there are people who are hungry and there are people Do they who... ever think about just printing more money is that something that the u.s government has <laughs> i think we're about? they tried that it didn't work out so well hmm. um like you know that that i guess could transition into a little a little bit of the political discussion um to for, we can be yotze on that like you know, now it's it's only in the last uh, few years that you have this private space exploration, and you know when Jeff Bezos went into orbit, um, was that like last year? Um, he was like almost universally made fun of and mocked for that. He was wearing like a cowboy hat, so he did look like kind of a jerk. But I mean, do you do you have an opinion or a take on on that, like government funded versus private? And like, do you see a benefit of the marketplace and competition when it comes to, I mean, like Elon Musk talks about like the crucial importance of going to Mars and eventually setting up colonies on Mars in order to ensure the survival of the human race in case like something happens to Earth. You know, that's like a whole other thing that we don't have to get into too much. But like, do you have thoughts on, on that? I don't feel like, I mean, do I have thoughts? Sure. But I I definitely don't feel like an expert in this way. I think it's definitely true that one of the things that's really difficult is that at the end of the day, money, like anything else, is zero sum. I think what you said is exactly correct. I mean, I guess money is more complicated. Well, not always. Yeah. Budgets might be zero sum, but somebody getting rich doesn't mean that someone else is necessarily getting poor. Oh, that's not 
Sure. That's well. Yeah, that's like that's socialism and Bernie Sanders type of stuff. Not familiar. <laughs> okay. What was the name? <laughs> um, but but I do I do think that it's hard. I do think that it's hard to think about real significant problems that happen in the world today that could be solved by more government funding, like significant disease, like, you know, we think about, you know, uh, water being unsafe in parts of America and obviously in, in major parts of the world. Uh, think about malaria and other diseases, like things like that, where money, literally, they know exactly what could help solve it. More malaria nets, literally more every malaria net that is given to people in Africa saves lives, right? And not just Africa, but, but in places where malaria is still an issue. Um, and when we, th well, that's not to say that that means that we should, some departments or some parts of the budget should get zero because we have other things to deal with. Obviously it's complicated. We need to figure out how to break things up. And when you're talking about such massive sums of money as the U S budget, you know, there, there's room to kind of like divide things up. But I do think that it, it, it's, it's hard. Like if, you know, it, I'm thinking that like, if I had a family member who died of, you know, from drinking unsafe water or who got, you know, had uh, lead issues because of pipes that weren't fixed because the city budget didn't have, like, you know, things like that. Um, and, you know, someone in Congress tried to explain to me, like, look, like, we wish we had the money for it, but like, this ended up being 10 billion and we couldn't have predicted that. So like, you know, we couldn't have fixed those like lead pipe <laughs> issues or like, you know, mm -hmm. so that's why they had the lead paint. Like I would not be super convinced by that argument. I would find that pretty upsetting. Right. Now that's not to say that we should be deciding policy based on aggrieved family members. Uh, you know, like obviously it's more complicated than that, but I, I, I really do, I'm very sympathetic to that argument that at the end of the day, people needs to come before however NASA put it, the beauty and the dis of the discovery and exploration. Right. Yeah, I think it's hard. It's not it's not that simple because it isn't ultimately really zero sum. It's also interesting to to note that while the annual um, NASA budget, it, it fluctuates, but I think it's around like 23 billion um, annually. Um, Trump actually tried to lower it and uh, he got some flack for that. Um, it's interesting to think about, like, it's not clear which, like, is this a Republican or a Democrat thing, right. which is which is unique, I think, um, that you can have people on both sides. Like, Bernie Sanders also um, historically has voted against some NASA funding, and he gave reasons like what you were saying, like, not that he's against NASA, but, you know, people have to come first. Um, but as a percentage of the national uh, budget, it's now, I think for 2022 or 2023, it's about 0.48%, so half a percent. Right. In the mid-60s, it was like, three and for a couple of years over four percent of the total mm -hmm. uh, u.s budget so uh, m many times more um, than it is now um, but we got to the moon so i guess you could say it was worth it or maybe not i don't know i mean what <laughs> so just like no i, I want to say one more thing though no, this is like you know something that i think um could be talked about or i could talk about it all forever but um one more i think advantage or benefit to this type of thing and of course it could backfire and it could work in the opposite way but in addition to like the specific technological um advances that can help in all other realms of uh you know human life i think there is an element of unity um, that could potentially mm. come from unity and perspective. You know, like, first of all, the moon landing, I think, was... And on the one hand, it was part of the Cold War. So, like, we beat, quote-unquote, Russia to the moon. But I think it was also, like, a worldwide moment of unity that like one giant leap for mankind it wasn't a giant leap for america it was but it was the way he said it neil armstrong giant leap for mankind um 
So there's like the saving humanity potential of Elon Musk, which is, I think is something to talk about. It's real, but also just like the unit. There's also um, a psychological uh, phenomenon that um, I forgot what it's called, but astronauts who have seen Earth from space right. have like this type of like perspective. Like they come back and they often are very into like world peace and saving the environment and things like that because they they have this literal perspective that lends to a figurative perspective and I think this type of thing even if it's exploring space not necessarily you know earth and the moon beyond uh, that uh, can have a similar type of um, similar type of effect and thinking about where life comes from will lead to questions about what is the purpose of life which is not answered by science but it's it's the next logical question and once we have that it's like well how do we preserve life and how do we not waste life and how do we not kill people for no reason and things like that I think it all in some way relates and I is not uh it's certainly not working I against I mean have those you things. seen any evidence of that being true since NASA started that like the world has become a more peaceful place Well who knows how much worse it would be if NASA didn't exist Sure <laughs> sure but this is all very hypothetical Meaning, Of course like, I, I said would, it, I said it's not right. sounds beautiful Right But right. um I don't know like I think like if anything like the space race to me feels like yeah the, we're all uniting against the common enemy of Russia right so like it feels like yeah, there's there's a way in which they're, and that often feels like right, it's true. Like the the way that you can bring people together is by having something to focus on, and too often that's a negative thing. I love the idea of um, the wide contours of the world, right, as seen through this web telescope, being the thing that brings us together. I think that is actually mm-hmm. really a beautiful, wonderful thing. Um, I don't know. I don't know that it, that it, that it really you know lasts longer than well, a week. Right. I mean, um, as we see in the movie Independence Day, nothing's going to bring the world together more than an alien invasion. Yeah, common enemy. Yeah. So, but ultimately, I do. I I, I think it's a. I think it's an interesting question. I think we we didn't get to get into this sort of idea of like public versus private uh, and what that right. looks like. What, what it could. What, what what would it look like? Well, in this New York Times Daily episode, they made a distinction between what the telescope is doing, which is unique to NASA. Like, none of the private companies are doing things like that. The private companies are working on manned flights into space. And NASA is moving away from that. But NASA now is in the more theoretical science um, realm, which is not really going to lead directly to profit, which is why the private companies don't do it, which is an interesting way to put it and an interesting like symbiotic relationship between the private sector and the government working together on different elements of space right. exploration, all for the you know good of mankind. It sounds like the kind of almost like the early days of the internet where America, the government was very, very involved in funding a lot of work. They were doing some stuff internally in like government departments, but also funding a lot of private work in creating the internet and creating like many of the early companies that were that were involved in building this out, again, for the sake of the world. Um, but I think that 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 partnership is always is always going to exist when you're, you know, pushing to the, the frontier of something new to infinity and beyond. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Ground control to major towns. Six commencing countdown engines on three two check ignition and may God's love be with you. (laughs) 
So, Uri, I gotta say, I've I was a little skeptical about this topic. I wasn't sure, but I enjoyed this conversation. Okay, it good. gave me more more to think about it. So so thank good. you. And of course, as always, as listeners know, the conversation does not end with us. Please join the conversation. Shoot us an email, talkingtalkaspodcast at gmail.com, and join the conversation on our Facebook page, Talking Talkless Podcast. Thanks as always to Drive In Productions. They're the sponsor of this week's episode. And thank you to Triple Threat Trio featuring Rage Brigade. They are the official band of Talking Talkless. Bye, everyone. Sei gesund. The stars look very different today.